All right, we'll turn with me to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, please. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> since uh, we began this series in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul has essentially done three things. Uh, we have uh, one more sermon in this section of 1 Thessalonians. Next week kind of ends this section we've been in, and um, then things will change uh, a little bit. But thus far, uh, Paul has essentially been doing three things, and uh, quite a bit of these three things. So he's talked about his gratitude, his, his gratitude to God for the Thessalonians, for their conversion and for the example that they have set for others. Uh, he's talked about ministry. He's in particularly talked about his own ministry along with uh, Timothy and Silas as they preached the gospel with a mind to make disciples and plant churches. And then finally, he's uh, addressed the subject of encouragement and uh, specifically the encouragement he wishes to give the Thessalonians by speaking of his love for them and his desire to be with them. So uh, the three subjects then he's covered in these first three chapters of this first letter to the church in Thessalonica are uh, gratitude, ministry, and encouragement. And as we come to our text today, he's actually going to do a combination of those three things, uh, and then next week he will uh, offer a prayer. So uh, in verses 6 and 7, we will learn uh, again about a godly ministry uh, as we see Paul respond to the report that he gets from Timothy. Uh, and then we'll learn about Thanksgiving again as, as Paul reports how this, uh, this, uh, this feedback from Timothy has given him great joy and encouragement. And then we'll learn about encouragement as he speaks again of his love for them and mentions again his desire to be with the church in Thessalonica. So let's read our text this morning. It's 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, 6 through 10. And, uh, and we'll see here uh, Paul doing again what he's been doing since verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 3, starting at verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you, see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, last week I uh, spoke about something in the middle of the sermon that I am not going to wait until the middle of the sermon to talk about this week, something that is very very important, drastically important that you understand, in fact. Uh, and it has to do with the strength of your faith. Now, on one occasion, uh, Jesus is on a boat, and he's with his disciples, and a storm hits. I know some of you are familiar with this uh, story. Uh, the disciples uh, look around for Jesus, and they find him asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. What a great little detail that Mark includes for us, that Jesus' head is on a cushion. Uh, so they wake Jesus, and they tell him about the storm, frantic with worry, questioning whether or not he in fact cares about them, pleading with him to save them, and this is what he says. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? 
Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Now, I don't know about you, but my first question is, what do you think they expected Jesus to do? Because they certainly didn't expect him to command the winds and the seas. I mean, he does it, and they're like, what is going on here? That said, don't worry about that this morning. This morning, I want you to notice Jesus' response. He responds with these five words. Oh, you of little faith. Now, uh, this makes clear to me and to us that there are varying degrees of faith. Right? There are varying degrees of faith because... They had little faith. So some of us, like the disciples in this text here, we have little faith. And it doesn't take much to get us into a tailspin of worry. Some of us have a lot of faith. And even when the fiercest storms uh, come at us in life, we hold fast. And then you could say, I guess, some of us have a medium amount of faith. And, and, and some things can really get us and other things not so much. Sometimes in our life, you know, we're doing good and other times not so much. Now, I say all of this to once again make something crystal clear. So, uh, you know, if you, I, I hate when preachers say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. The strength of your faith on any given day or at any particular time in your life has absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. The the last thing I want to do as a preacher is to cause you to worry about your standing before God as though it depended on the strength of your faith. That is a terrible, terrible place to be. As I mentioned last week, this, the faith that saves is dependent not on the strength of your faith. It is dependent on the one in whom your faith is in. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it tells us that saving faith is a gift from God. And so if he has given it to you, you have it. And he will never renege on that gift. He will, he will never uh, uh, request you give that gift back. Once he gives that gift, it is yours. So if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose to give you life, which is to say you believe Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he would do. In other words, this is what we call having faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ, you are once and for all declared justified in the sight of God. The, the gavel has hit, the verdict on your soul is settled, and there is no room for appeals. So if you have acknowledged that you are a sinner, you have cried out to God for salvation through his son, then you are justified in the sight of God, declared righteous. It doesn't matter how strong or weak your faith is on any given day. It doesn't matter how much or how little faith you have in any particular situation. The faith that saves is faith in Christ, and it is a one-time gift from God applied by the Holy Spirit when he regenerates you and takes up residence within you, never, ever to leave. Now, you then might ask, why all this talk about the varying degrees of faith if it doesn't matter how much or little faith you have? Well, (laughs) 
I didn't say it doesn't matter how much faith you do or do not have. It very much does matter how much or how little faith you have at any given time, just not when it concerns your justification. You see, we are justified by faith, but as I noted last week, we also live by faith. And when it comes to living by faith, this is where the strength uh, or the amount of our, pl- our faith plays a very significant part. So, so while I don't want you to be concerned about your salvation because of the varying degrees of your faith, I also don't want you to not think that the strength of your faith doesn't matter because the strength of your faith will, how do I say this? It will influence how you live a great deal. It will determine how much joy you have on any given day. It will uh, uh, increase your desire to obey God in, in all things. And so it, it's very important that we consider the strength of our faith. I mean, imagine with me if the disciples on that occasion in that boat in the midst of that storm had a lot of faith. Now that would have gone very differently wouldn't it? I actually recall uh, in one of my preaching classes in seminary, um, the prof was talking about that text in Mark, I think it's Mark chapter four. Um, And you know me, I'm not big on sermon titles, right? Not really my thing. Um, But I I did appreciate his sermon title, and I don't remember it exactly, uh, but it was something like this. His sermon title for that text was this, Jesus, give me some of that cushion. right? You know me, I'm not big on sermon titles, but come on now. That's pretty good. If Jesus' head is on the cushion, where should your head be? On the cushion, right? It's where it belongs. If you're trusting on him, in him, you see someone with a lot of faith has a little fear. Someone with a lot of faith struggles with worry a whole lot less. Someone with a lot of faith stands strong in the face of the struggles and afflictions that this life throws at us. That is the kind of faith that I want you to have. That's the right kind of faith. Now, last week, we we looked at that kind of faith, and we determined that it's a resolved faith, and it's a strengthened faith, and it's a faith prepared to be tested. That's the kind of faith that we need when things get tough. We want to be able to say, Jesus Give me a piece of that cushion. Now, this morning we learn three more things about that kind of faith. We carry on in this, uh, uh, this series, this brief two-sermon series on the right kind of faith. And this morning we learn three more things about the right kind of faith. Number one, that it is an observable faith. Number two, that it is an immovable faith. And number three, that it is a humble faith. So let's get into our text And as we dig into this text, uh, let's do so with a heart and mind to learn more about the right kind of faith so that we will live by faith so that when we face all kinds of trials and tribulations, we will not be overwhelmed with worry and fear like the disciples on the boat did, but rather we will say, Jesus, give me a piece of that cushion. So as we noticed uh, last week, uh, Paul was not able to make this trip to Thessalonica Uh, for whatever reason, but he did tell us that the source of that opposition, the the hindrance, was caused by Satan. Now, uh, Timothy was able to make the trip, and so Paul sends him with the highest recommendation that he is God's co-worker. 
which is to say that God is working through him so that he will proclaim the gospel and make disciples. Now, in last week's text, we just learned of Timothy's trip. And in this week's text, we learn of his return to to Paul. Now, I read this somewhere. I couldn't find out where I read it. My apologies, but I did read this somewhere. I am not great with uh, geography, so I had to find this out from somebody else. But uh, a trip from Athens, which is where uh, Paul and Timothy was, uh, to Thessalonica, which is where Timothy traveled to, is roughly a 10-day trip in that day, Um, which means that if Timothy uh, took 10 days to travel there, and let's just suppose he stayed there for 10 days. We don't know how long he stayed there for. Maybe it was one day, maybe it was 10 days, maybe it was three weeks. I don't know. But let's just say, for lack of argument, that it was, it was 10 days he stayed there for. If he, if he traveled there and he stayed for 10 days and he traveled back, that means that 30 days has passed between verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3. Right? I know some of you are looking down. It's like, oh, hold on a minute here. Uh, I got to see that there, right? Uh, but, but he tells about Timothy's trip. And then in verse 6, he says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you, Okay, so 30 days have have passed there. And when Timothy returns to Paul, he returns with a positive report. Paul says that Timothy brought us the good news of your faith. Now, this tells us something about our faith. And, and, And what it tells us is that our faith must be observable. Right? Timothy came back and he tells Paul about the good news of their faith, which means that he was able to observe their faith. If he couldn't observe their faith and he wasn't certain about their faith, then how was he going to give the good news about their faith? He was able to discern the faith of the saints in Thessalonica. And the reason was because they demonstrated their faith. They demonstrated it and and Timothy was able to observe it. Now, (laughs) I don't know about you, but I have come across a lot of people uh, in my life um, that if you asked me if they were a Christian or not, Uh, I couldn't tell you. Now, maybe they profess to be Christians. Maybe uh, they have been church members for many, many years. And you say, is that person a Christian? Uh, There's been a lot of cases where I'm like, I don't know. I I could not verify their, their faith. But that is not the case with Timothy and the Thessalonians because when he comes back, he doesn't have bad news. Like as to say, man, you know, they've all abandoned their faith. And he, he doesn't have okay news, which is to say, he says, you know, like, I don't know, like things seem pretty good, but let's give it a while more. No, Timothy comes back with nothing but good news. He, he was able to see their faith, and thus he was able to report their, their faith. In other words, Timothy knew that they had faith because their faith was observable. Now, the question we're left with then is, how is it that they demonstrated their faith so that Timothy could observe it, right? Because I'm suggesting that your faith should be observable and your response would be, okay, so how do I demonstrate it so that you know that I have it? What do I need to do in my life so that people will be able to see my, my faith? Now, to be sure, as already noted and emphasized, faith that saves is alone, which means it, it needs nothing added to it. We are justified by faith alone. This is one of the foundational doctrines of the Reformation. There is no amount of faithfulness that saves and no amount of faithfulness which needs to be added to justification. We are justified by faith alone. But as has been said, faith that saves is never alone. The point is that the kind of faith that saves is 
the kind of faith which is observable. So how do we demonstrate that faith? Well, in the report that Timothy gave Paul uh, about the Thessalonians, he speaks of the good news of their faith, uh, of their faith and love, and he reported that they always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see them. So faithfulness is summed up in our text in one word, love. Love. And if you recall, Jesus summed up the entire law with that same one word when he was asked, what is the most important command? He said, you shall love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the life of faith is a life of love, love for God and love for neighbor. Now, uh, don't worry, uh, love for neighbor, I'm going to break down further next week, what it looks like to love neighbor, what, who is our neighbor, how that all fits together. But for this week, let's just focus on, on how we show our faith. We show our faith through love. And this is what Timothy saw in the Thessalonians. He saw a group of people with faith in Christ, and he saw the evidence of their faith in Christ through their love for God and others. Or as Paul puts it in his letter to the Galatians, Timothy saw their faith working through love. Their faith working through love. So while you may have heard people say something like this, my faith is private. When it concerns saving faith, which is to say the faith of a Christian, that is not really an option. Uh, you, you might think your faith is private, but I would suggest that if your faith is private, you don't actually have faith. You see, for something to be private means that we keep it to ourselves, which is to say, I'm going to keep my faith to myself, which would mean that our faith would not be observable. And I'm telling you today that real faith, the right kind of faith, is faith that is observable. We must demonstrate our faith, because if someone were not able to discern whether you have faith or not, which is to say they could not see your love for God and love for others, I think we could question whether, in fact, you do love God and others. If people can't see your love for God and love for others, then you're likely not showing your love for God and others, which is to say you don't love God and others. Now, it is love for God and others which we should want people to see. We shouldn't want to keep it to ourselves. We should live in such a way that people see the way we live. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus tells us that we should live our faith out loud, which means that when we are around unbelievers... Our faith should make us stick out like a vegan in a steakhouse. <laughs> Our faith should make us draw attention like a Hawaiian shirt at a black tie event. Our faith should make us as noticeable as a red Ferrari in a parking lot full of white Volkswagens. <laughs> what I'm getting at is that we should want people to see our love for God then we should live in such a way that they will see our love for God so that they might love God. Now then there's our love for one another, something else Jesus wants others to see. He makes this crystal clear. There is no question about this. He says in John 13, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Why, Jesus, why? By this, 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. No, clearly Jesus says that we should want people to know that we're his disciples. How can our faith be private? How can we keep our faith to ourselves and also do something so that other people will know that we are his disciples? He wants all people to know that we are his disciples. So if you want people to know you are a disciple of Christ, you must take action so that they see your faith, which is to say you must love God and you must love others because the right kind of faith is an observable faith. It's like Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, right? A lamp is intended to shine. So demonstrate your faith like the Thessalonians did, because the right kind of faith is an observable faith. Now, when Paul hears about the Thessalonians' faith, uh, he, he doesn't question it. He doesn't say, say, Timothy, are you sure? No, he, he was convinced that Timothy had observed the faith, and, and, and Paul is overjoyed to hear about the Thessalonians' Faith, And so he says this in verse 7. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Now, uh, if you recall, if you were here last week, uh, when Paul sent Timothy, Paul was worried. Uh, He had all the right kinds of worry because he was worried about their conversion. He was worried about their, their faith. And so just imagine if he had gone for 30 days right? Like if he had stayed for 10 days, Timothy had stayed, Paul was waiting on pins and needles for 30 days to get the news back uh, from, from Timothy. And now Timothy comes back and Paul experiences all kinds of comfort. His greatest concern for the Thessalonians was their saving faith. And this is also his greatest source of comfort. This is what brings him, him comfort, not, not a donut, you know, not, not, uh, not uh, the outcome of a football game. You know, not somebody coming along and saying it's going to be okay. No, what gives Paul comfort is news of the Thessalonians' faith. It is their faith that comforts him. Now... <clears throat> In light of the fact that his concern for the Thessalonians was saving faith and his greatest source of comfort, uh, we need to realize that it was not, in fact, the Thessalonians themselves that created that comfort. Uh, Because, again, where did their faith come from? Uh, Their faith came from from God when the Holy Spirit regenerated them and and took up residence with them and empowered them to live for God. For God, So the true source of Paul's joy and comfort, if in fact it is their faith, then the true source of that comfort, where he received that comfort from, was from God. Because God was the one who gave them that faith. And as we become more holy and more righteous and more faithful and more loving towards God and others, it's God who does that as well. And again, I'll have more to say about that next week. But in short, we pursue sanctification, but God is the one who actually does the sanctifying work. And the fact that the Thessalonians are being sanctified is, is a great source of comfort to, to Paul. But it's not just comfort that he receives. Look at verse 8, if you would. He says here something that has, has 
puzzled commentators for years. He says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Now, uh, if you read four different commentaries on what that means, you are going to get four different explanations. And that's exactly what happened as I prepared for this this sermon. So one commentator uh, in the notes in the uh, Christian Standard Bible Study Bible suggests that Paul is using hyperbole here. Like he's saying that his very life depends on their their faith, even though it doesn't really, but he feels like it, you know, like I'm literally going to die if you don't, if you don't have faith, which of course he didn't mean literally, he meant figuratively, right? Uh, So one suggests that he's using hyperbole. He doesn't really mean that their life depends on their, like that his life depends on their faith. Another commentator suggests that when Paul speaks of life here, now we live, he's talking about spiritual life which is to say that the Thessalonians' faith gives him assurance of his own salvation, of his, his own spiritual resurrection life. It, it, it's like your faith encourages me in my faith and gives me assurance of the faith that I have. Now, another commentator uh, suggests that Paul is using life as a metaphor, and that metaphor is used to express his elation at, at the news. Like, now we live, man. Like, now I am at such joy because I hear of your faith. Uh, and then one more commentator who agrees that it has to do with the happiness and joy Paul receives um, adds that, that the, their faith kind of rejuvenates him, uh, you know, kind of energizes him, kind of encourages him to get, get into the fight uh, of faith. Now, take your pick. I mean, all of those, I think, are good answers. Um, I, I tend to like the last one best. I think Paul's saying, you know, that your faith energizes me, Uh, you know, because I get that. Like, your faith energizes me. That's something else I'm going to talk about next week. Uh, But anyway, uh, nevertheless, whatever Paul is saying here, um, he's he's very excited about their their faith. um, and, And in fact, that they're standing fast in the Lord. Which is to say that the right kind of faith is an immovable faith. They're standing fast in the Lord. The storms are trying to knock them down and they're not getting knocked down because they're standing fast in the Lord. They're not standing fast in their own power and abilities. They're not standing fast in their own intellect. They're not standing fast because of their finances. They are standing fast in the Lord. Once again, we are reminded of what we ought to do if we want our faith to be strengthened. We must stand fast in the Lord. We must be firmly committed to his gospel. We must find our strength in his spirit. And we must do this because an immovable faith is the right kind of faith. Which, which brings us to the end of our text. Uh, not the end of the sermon. Still got a little ways to go here. Um, but brings us to the end of the text where uh, we find the last thing out about the right kind of faith. Here, Paul seeks to encourage the Thessalonians. In verse 9, he, he says to them, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Now, I find that sentence funny. Funny is probably not the right word. Interesting. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before God. Uh, As I said, Paul's been talking about his gratitude for the Thessalonians. 
And it seems here he's like saying, look, I don't know how much more thanksgiving I can offer. What thanksgiving can we return to God for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? It's like he says he couldn't imagine receiving more joy from them. How much more thanksgiving could I get? How much more joy could I experience? He clearly intends to encourage the Thessalonians by telling them how encouraged he is by their observable and immovable faith. That, that seems to be what's happening with that verse. That said, there's something else he wants them to know. And it, it's as he says this, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So there is something here um, that Paul is concerned that the Thessalonians need to know. Uh, something is lacking in their understanding. There's something they don't know that Paul is very much concerned that they do know. Something about God or the gospel or living by faith or a combination of these things. Now, keep in mind uh, that <laughs> the Bible was not completed yet. I mean, Let's just kind of like step back and consider what we're doing. We're considering a letter that Paul ha was sent to the Thessalonians that became part of the Bible, right? So the Bible was being written at this time. And so there were things that if somebody didn't communicate these things firsthand to the church, the church wouldn't know. And there was no way that they could know. Right? They couldn't find these things on the internet. Uh, they couldn't all just like, oh, let's open our, our Bibles. You know, they had the Old Testament, but of course that wasn't accessible everywhere and, and, and to a great degree. And, and they had eyewitness testimony that was becoming, well, it, it always was the word of God, but it was in the process of being written and, and collected and affirmed and all of that sort of thing. And so the, the church was in a very... Um, I can't think of the right word, but the situation they're, they're in is one that we need to rejoice that we're not in, right? Like they were still waiting to hear more, to know more. God's word had not uh, come to them in its, its fullness. There was something more they needed to learn. There was some area of life that, where they needed spiritual growth in that they needed somebody to tell them. There was some aspect of their faith which still needed to be informed. Now, if we think about our context again, uh, you know, we must acknowledge that we now have the complete Bible, right? There's, there's no revised Bibles coming out. We have the whole Bible. Uh, the canon is closed. Canon is just a way of referring to uh, 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 what is the Bible and what isn't the Bible. Uh, 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 the canon is a, a read, and it's a measuring stick by which we determine uh, what is Bible and what is not Bible. And while I'm not going to get into that this morning, what I will get into is, is the fact that the Bible is finished. It doesn't matter what anybody says. You know, you might say, well, the Catholics, they have some extra books in their Bible. Those aren't Bible. Uh, the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, they're, they're historical writings. Feel free to read them. Feel free to benefit from them, but they ain't Bible. This, this is Bible, right? 66 books, the way we have them arranged anyway, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, right? That's, that's the Bible. It's, it's finished. There's no more. We're not waiting for any more. Uh, so in one sense, we could say that there is nothing lacking in our faith because we have the entire word of God, and we have access to it all. We're not, you know, sitting around waiting for Paul to come visit and tell us more of the word of God. We're not waiting to get the letter, 
right? We've got first Thessalonians. We're still waiting on second Thessalonians. No, we don't have any of that. We are not looking for more books of the Bible. It's like Paul told Timothy in second Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now the Thessalonians, they weren't. They were not complete. They had not been equipped for every good work. Paul needed to come and equip them for some other work. But for us, if, if, we, put the, the, if we think about that passage, we must conclude that God has given us all Scripture and it is through the whole Bible that he gives us all we need to live for him in godliness. It's like Peter said, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not this, just some things, all things through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So we have all things. We have the whole Bible. We have all we need to live for God in, in, by faith. So in one sense, we lack nothing because we have all of scripture and we should rejoice in that. But in another sense, in a very real way, our faith is lacking, isn't it? Uh, because learning the Bible is a lifetime event, isn't it? Uh, anybody here want to stand up and say they know everything in the Word of God, everything about the Word of God? You know it perfectly, you apply it perfectly, you interpret it. Per- no, nobody's going to say that, uh, which means that, that we must be humble. No matter how much we know, we must foster a teachable heart. So we will never endeavor in this life to be finished seeking to know more about God and how we ought to live as his children. That, that is a humble faith. A humble faith is the right kind of faith. You see, we must realize that faith is not a one-and-done sort of thing. Yes, we are given justifying faith at one moment in history, which say we're declared righteous at one moment. But it's that same faith that saves us that we live by. The same faith that saves sanctifies in one sense, it's that moment where we are justified by faith where things really get interesting. That's where things get, get, get going. That's where the life of faith begins. There will be times when it will be easy to live by faith when things are going your way and you have nothing to complain about. And there will be times when it will be very difficult to live by faith when things do not go your way and there will be all kinds of things to complain about. Whether your circumstances are good or not, though, and whether you have lots or little to complain about, there is one kind of faith that will help you stand fast in the Lord. There is one kind of faith that will bring joy to others. There's one kind of faith which honors God, and it is the right kind of faith. It is a faith that is observable, immovable, and humble, a faith which responds to whatever God has for you in this life with Jesus. Give me some of that cushion.